the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 295 for November 1st, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome to this first November edition of the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you write the agenda or you help us write the agenda. You provide the questions. You provide the tips. We provide some tips. We hopefully provide your answers and we have a lot of fun. My name is Dave Hamilton from Durham, New Hampshire. Oh, and I'm John F. Braun here in chilly, frigid, <laughs> fearful Connecticut. Who turned down the temperature? Oh, it, has, it has quickly become tea weather, but that's okay. Yeah. yeah, I got my tea here. You got your tea. Um, yeah, we had a frost warning, and uh, so here's a reminder, folks: insulate your pipes and uh, and oil that uh, circulator pump for the heat. <laughs> that's uh, well. I've had issues with both. Yes, I know. I know you have. I uh, yeah, it's not pleasant. I, no, I was I was scared. It was 27. You know, I, I woke up early and it was 27 degrees, and I'm like, uh oh, not that it's going to freeze immediately. No. Anyways, enough about pipes. We're not going to talk about pipes unless no, they're but, in your computer. But that, but but this season uh, does remind me. In fact, our our, our first sponsor, Smile Software, uh, or Smile rather at SmileSoftware.com. Uh, this time of year, always uh, likes to have us talk about Disc Label. Now, Disc Label is at its core a piece of software that lets you uh, create labels that you can put both on CDs and DVDs as well as jewel case or uh, DVD box inserts, right? And these things look awesome. And it's such a cool interface. You can, they've got templates in the software or you can, you can, uh, you can design from scratch. You can pull in art from iPhoto t- or, or, or from your D- iDVD themes and pull it all together uh, it, it, you can pull in track information from iTunes if you're doing an audio uh, disc and printing the designs. Uh, you know, they, they, they've been doing this for a long time. Every media type out there, uh, nearly every media type is, is supported, including the direct to CD printers, the ones from Epson, Canon and HP. Uh, fantastic stuff. And it's great for your holiday uh, for your gifts, you know, let's say you've been on a couple vacations this year, or maybe you went away with the grandparents, right? Like my daughter, she did this trip with, uh, with her grandparents over the summer. And so as part of her Christmas gift, she's putting together like a little DVD montage thing and she can put, to, she can make a label with disc label, print it, slap it on the, the DVD, make a nice little case thing. That's got a customized picture. And that goes, you know, in the box with, uh, with the gifts that we'll mail to her grandparents. And it's this special thing that they've got. So here's the really cool part. Normally disc label is 35 95. Now, of course you can download a, uh, a sample copy from smilesoftware.com. but when you're ready to buy, normally it's 35 95 Mac keycap listeners get a special price of 24 95. So that's 30% off the regular price. And the way you do this is you go to smilesoftware.com slash geek. Again, that's smilesoftware.com slash geek. Get disc label from Smile for $24.95. All right, John, let's move on and, uh, and let's go to one of those questions we mentioned. Devin writes, lately when I open the finder, there's a large question mark next to the search bar. It won't go away. And when I click on it, the finder then freezes and I have to quit and relaunch the finder. 
Any idea what this is and how do I deal with it? Okay, so Devin sent in a screenshot. And what he's talking about is at the top of every Finder window, uh, you've got your navigation options on the left. And then you've got a series of buttons in the middle that might be the default set, uh, which let you pick kind of how you're seeing things and uh, some other search options. And then on the right is uh, is a, a field where you can search. Now, of course, all of this is customizable by going into the uh, view menu in the Finder and going to Customize Toolbar. Uh, what you ah, because there's another way to get to that, Dave. Well, is right clicking in that area brings up the exact same menu. But I just thought I'd point that out. You get a oh, yeah. slightly different menu if you click in that area. And yeah, as you pointed out, so it's called the Toolbar, and of course right. you can customize it. Go on. Yep. Nope. Okay. And so one other thing that you can do. So in addition to all the stuff that you see in the customized toolbar uh, sheet that you can pull down, you can also take items from the finder folders, documents, uh, really anything that you can navigate to disks, network shares, and drag those up into the toolbar as well. This was a feature that a lot of people thought went away after we moved away from, I think Mac OS 10.4, but uh, only because we have the sidebar in the finder now that we can also customize with that stuff. But no, you can still customize the toolbar. Uh, and that's exactly what has happened here with Devin is uh, when the toolbar has an item that you've dragged in there, it doesn't actually live there. It's just a shortcut to that. Uh, and when you, when that shortcut no longer points to when the destination for that shortcut no longer exists for whatever reason, it turns from whatever its icon previously was into a question mark. Uh, what that could mean is that you put a, link to a network share up there at some point, And now that share is no longer available. And so when you click on it uh, in Devin's case, you know, if he'd waited probably, I think it's a 60 second timeout. It might be 30, but it may, I think it's a 60 second timeout. If he'd waited 60 seconds, the finder would have come back and said the disc or the, the, the share, you know, X, Y, Z is not available. Uh, and then you just click. Okay. To get it out of there is actually really simple. Hold down the command key which is the Apple key or the Clover key or the one that actually says command on it and click on that icon and simply drag it out of the toolbar. Once you get out of the toolbar, let go of the mouse. It'll do the little poofy thing. Uh, you'll see the cloud go up and that's the end of it. It's out of there. Well, I think John, you found uh, as always, you found a little geekier way of doing this. If in fact that UI step doesn't work. Yeah, because I was concerned that maybe what was up there may have been something, because I think he indicated that when he, he tried to go, I thought he said it crashed or, or something bad happened when he tried to manipulate that. Um, I think he got back to us and told us that actually what you suggested worked. But to dig into the innards or the pipes or the tubing of Mac OS X, you may be wondering exactly where that setting is. Now, first off, when I said right-click, what I really meant was control-click on my uh my trackball, it is a right click. But anyway, so to bring up that customized toolbar. And, but, and to be fair, uh, it is a right click on Apple's mice that support alternate clicks. So Apple has officially adopted that as the right click uh, thing, unlike the Magic Mouse and the, you know, all the other mice that, that do all that. But go ahead. Yeah. Right. But I like to, to get underneath the covers and figure out exactly where this information is. And the place that it is, Dave, is if you go to your Home folder, as usual, library preferences. There is a preference file called com.apple.finder.plist. And within that, it took me a little while because there were numerous entries in there that had the word toolbar in them. But the one that I found 
that has a list of all of the things up there uh, that are in the toolbar is called, uh, well, the primary key is NS toolbar configuration browser. NS, I think, being next step. They love using that in their variable names in Xcode as well. And then underneath that is something called TB. I'm going to guess that's toolbar item identifiers. And guess what? The number of items in that list was exactly the same number of things I had in my uh, toolbar. So uh. if it, if it, for whatever reason, it doesn't work trying to drag it out of there, then I would say going into that plist file, maybe backing up first, of course, and whacking that item. And, and when you look at it, it'll make sense. Like, you know, I, 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 in order to test this, I dragged the CD burn one in there. And I think when I looked at the item, it was called burn. And like the first one that you see that has navigation is called back. And so the names should, should make sense to you. And like one was called Dropbox because, you know, we both use Dropbox and they, they have a nice little custom uh, toolbar entry that they, they put in there. Cool. So if you're wondering where it is, that's where it is. That's where it is. Awesome. All right. Uh, ready to move on to Caleb. Caleb wrote, actually, Caleb wrote out in the Mac Geek Cab crew forums over at Mac Observer. Uh, he wrote, I recently inherited a MacBook. It is beyond the warranty and is not covered by Apple Care. I have a couple hundred CDs I want to download to iTunes. When I download a CD, it makes a lot of noise at the end. I've been told that downloading or ripping a lot of CDs is hard on the hard drive. As the computer is out of warranty, I do not want to burn out the drive. How much wear is put on the drive by importing CDs? And how expensive is it to replace that drive? Are there safer ways to import discs that are reasonably inexpensive? Okay, so... Uh, let's talk about repair or replacement first. Uh, I took a quick look at iFixit. There are other places you can go, uh, but I took a quick look at iFixit for kind of a, a benchmark and they've got the MacBook or MacBook pro, uh, super drive, which is the CD DVD burner combo media drive that, that sits in there. Uh, the part is 150 bucks us. Now at that point, you still need to do the upgrade yourself and it's a, you know, four page upgrade on, on iFixit with their instructions. So it's non-trivial. Uh, if you don't want to do it yourself, hundred bucks, maybe 150 bucks to have somebody do it for you. Uh, as far as burning out the drive, it, any use of a drive will add to its wear and tear. But, you know, I, I don't know about you, John. I've ripped hundreds, maybe thousands of CDs. I don't think I did them on my current drive, but I did them on a previous one. And I never had the drive wear out. Now, uh, likewise. Yeah, it, it, you know, if but if you're hearing a grinding sound or something that doesn't sound quite right, I mean, it's going to make a noise before it ejects. So that's normal. Mm. Right. But but if you're hearing something that just doesn't fit, uh, then maybe there's a, a problem with the drive. And of course, if there is, then that that could get worse. Um, you know, it, it, the the alternative is you could get an external drive. And I found some at, you know, Newegg and Amazon and buy.com for like 50 bucks or even less uh, to, to rip this stuff in. So if you really want to do, you know, what everything you can to preserve that internal drive, go spend the, you know, 40 to 60 dollars to get an external drive. Do your ripping on that. Probably going to be faster than the drive in your Mac anyway. So you might actually see a speed increase and save some time in your in your ripping process. And and then that way, you know, if, if you know, if the internal drive is going to fail soon, well, you've kind of staved that off a little bit. So that that's my feeling on that. Yeah, no, I guess. Um, uh, so to add on to that a bit, Dave, so, so yeah. one place you can go to learn as much info as possible about that drive is that if you go into our friend system profiler and how do you get hardware? There? I don't know. 
uh, the, the, the way that I use most, well, you know, a couple of ways. So either go to about this Mac and within about this Mac, which is in the Apple menu in the finder, you will see more info. Yep. Of course, the other way is you could use a uh, spotlight. Yeah. And uh, just say, uh, you know, system for, you know, it should match eventually to launch an application. Uh, I'll, and I'll, I'll offer one other way to get there and then I'll let you do your sure. thing, John. If uh, in the Apple menu, you're right. The first option is always about this Mac, except if you hold down the option key, in which case it changes directly to system profile and you can launch the system profiler right from the Apple menu with the option key. Look at you. Aren't you smart? And I you never know noticed that. I learned that on this show, believe it or not. Wow. Not this episode, but, but you know, this show in the mm-hmm. five years or whatever. I think a listener sent that in. So. so once you're in the system profiler, there'll be a hardware category and under that will be a disc burning category that will tell you the model of drive. And it's an off-the-shelf drive. It's not an Apple drive. They, they buy it from somebody else. And it'll show you all sorts of things about it. The firmware, uh, burning support. It'll show if it's an Apple-supported drive. That's and, that may be of, and that may be of concern because I, I don't know if it's possible to get an external drive to be... Well, unless it's identical to the model that, that is listed in your disk burning. Because Apple, as far as I know, only officially supports a subset of all the, the drives out there. And some of their apps may not like a non-Apple drive when it comes to, to burning. But yeah, burning. They, most, it, in, in the event that it won't burn, it in almost all cases will read. However, DVD player may not burn, may not play DVDs that are on a non-Apple supported drive, just so you know. Yeah, and that's an entry in there as well. It shows the cache. It'll say reads DVDs. Of course, mine says yes. It'll show you the CD, write, read, write, and, and formats. So anyways, that's a good place to just understand what you have. And then oddly enough, in order to see the available burn speeds, you actually got to put a piece of media in. Well, I guess it tells you what, what the, the media supports. But that's a place to go to, uh, to learn about the, uh, the drive itself. Cool. Yeah, I had another thing. Hold on. It'll come to me in a second here. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. No, I got it. All right. So the other thing. Now, hearing a noise. Now, I ran into this uh, a little while ago, Dave, and this was with burning. So I have like you the uh, 2008 MacBook in it, and it has a uh, dual layer burner, or so it claimed. You know, I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, because I had I had the need to burn something that was larger than four gigabytes, and of course, your standard DVD is I think 4.7 or so gigabytes, yep. and I had something that was much larger than that. So I'm like, oh, I gotta buy some dual layer media. So I went online, ordered some dual layer media, put it in there. You know, it was a disk image actually, I think for Mac OS 10 or something like that, Mac OS 10 server, and so I tried to take it and tried to burn it and it would sit there and try to burn and sit there for a little while longer and then spit it out saying, I, I don't know, man, maybe the speed, you know, maybe you should try burning at a different speed. I'm like, what? I know the answer. I've been through this pain. Well, okay. Well, I'll tell you what the answer was in my case. And then okay. I thought in the back of my mind, you know, at one point, Dave, I think we suggested to people, if you have problems with your burner, maybe you should get a lens cleaner. Because there's a little lens in there, as you probably know, uh, you know, DVD drives, CD and DVD drives use uh, this thing called a laser. (laughs) Big Dr. Evil. Anyways, they they use a laser and a lens. And what can happen is that you can get garbage on the lens, especially if it's an older machine or there's dust or or whatever. And I was shocked. So I had a a CD or DVD cleaner. It's basically a DVD that has little brushes on it. And so I stuffed it in there. Now, you want to be careful because especially these slot load ones here, do not even think of putting anything in there that's smaller 
than your standard, you know, I think five and a quarter inch DVD, or you're going to screw it or up. Or larger. Uh, I think that'd be pretty impossible to put it in there. Yeah, like an eight inch disc or something. But anyways, I put it in there, let it spin up, and it basically, you know, tries to read it and says, I don't know what the heck this is, but it gives it enough time, 30 seconds or so, to, to get the gunk off of the lens. And that must have been it, Dave, because there must have been a little speck of dust or something, because after I did that, it burned my dual layer media just fine. But now I'm curious to hear what you ran. Uh, and I was shocked because I, I don't think I've ever had to use a lens cleaner before, but this definitely solved the problem. Wow. It's been like, you know, the last time I used a lens cleaner, I think was 1988 or something. Um, yeah, no, I would not have guessed that. That's that's really good to know. What I would have done now, was there was there any special type of lens cleaner you needed to get because it's a slot loader as opposed to a tray loading drive or anything like that? No, it was uh, it was something that I've had for ages. And, okay. um, you know, it, it was your standard CD size. And there were just a couple of brushes, I think, you know, towards the uh, towards the inside. Yeah. You know, or close to the center, which I guess is where the lens typically uh, rests um, unless the drive is, is doing something. Right. So, right. Okay, no, because I I would have guessed that it, that you'd bought cheap media. That that has always been my experience with especially the dual layer stuff these days. Is that you know the media quality kind of runs the gamut, and if you buy cheap stuff, it just doesn't work. So okay, well I'm looking, and so what I got, Dave, and it was, I don't think there's cheap media, but it's verbatim DVD plus RDL. Yeah, that ain't cheap stuff, and I, I trust uh, verbatim. Mm-hmm. So, but no, you bring up a good point. I mean, you know, verbatim or Sonar. Yeah, just make sure it, it at least has a brand on it. Yeah, well, you know, but with CDs nowadays, you know, with CDs and even, uh, you know, the regular single layer DVDs, you can buy the crap and it works fine. Uh, or at least that's been my experience. Um, so, yeah, it's funny because like a bird normal, but but I guess dual layer, it, it's just, you know, more yep. dense or, or whatever, more sophisticated. Uh, and yeah, so whatever was on the lens there. uh just may, or uses a different frequency of, of laser or something like that. But anyways, fascinating. All right. That did it. All right. On to Joe. Joe asks, I have ripped a number of back to ripping, but this is a different type of ripping. I've ripped a number of episodes of TV shows for which I purchased the DVD series. However, in iTunes, they show up as movies instead of TV shows. So I Googled and found that the supposed method to change the type in iTunes to be highlight the show, choose get info, go to options, go to media kind and change it to TV show. This actually works and moves all the episodes of the TV shows uh, to the TV shows category in my iTunes library. However, when I plug in my iDevice, my iPhone or my iPad and click the TV shows from the iPads device window, I see no TV shows. If I select all, which is like 55 gigs, then iTunes indicates that all 137 episodes are identified. But if I try to manually select shows or episodes, no list episode window comes up at all. It says zero. Further, I then leave all selected. The percent use status window indicates that it is using all this space for the TV episodes, but then after the long sync, there is nothing in the TV shows section of the videos tab or the videos app on the iPad. Neither is there anything in the movies app. All right. My solution has been to move everything back to a movie type and then copy them over. And that actually works. Any ideas? Yeah, I've, I've done this. I, um, I typically use, well, actually the TV shows that I put on my iPad or on my iPhone typically are things that I've pulled from, um, from my TiVo and, and, the program that I use, which we mentioned recently called iTivo, actually applies metadata 
to this. Uh, specifically, if you, again, highlight the episode itself and go to get info, you should see a video tab. And there is uh, there's five fields here. Show, season number, episode ID, episode number, and then a description. A lot of times it pulls all that stuff in because the TiVo feeds it that. But I believe the most important things are th- certainly the show name. Uh, and that's going to be different than the name of the episode because the episode's going to be whatever you named it. But the show name here is what iTunes keys off of when building all those lists of what TV shows you have. Remember, this is built for the TV shows that you're going to purchase from the iTunes store. And of course, all of those are going to come with all this metadata filled out. So if you fill all that stuff in and then again, go back to options and change the media type back to uh, TV show, I think you're going to find that it's going to work for you. Uh, but that that's the important step here is that you have that metadata filled out what the show is. So if it's, you know, Battlestar Galactica, just type in Battlestar Galactica and you can do it for multiple episodes, just like you can with with music, you know, highlight multiples and choose get info. Say, yes, I agree. I'm going to change multiple things. And then you go in and and you do it. Um, but but that's that's been my experience with it. So I don't know if you've done anything like that, John. Mm. Nope, I'm uh, but I don't really consume a lot of uh, stuff within iTunes. I'm okay. pretty much a, a TiVo type of guy. Yep, yep. Cool. All right. Uh, yeah, let's go to uh, let's go to Keith here and see what we see what we get. Keith writes, "I've got what I'm hope is a simple iCal issue that I wonder if you can help with." On my Mac Pro, which has Snow Leopard installed, I have a number of calendars, home, work, holidays, contests, and so on. I have a number of weekly entries in my home calendar with pop-up alerts configured to remind me of these events, but I didn't like the fact that they also popped up on my iPhone and iPad, so I created a new calendar called Mac Only and moved these events over to this calendar. On my iPhone and iPad, I went to the list of calendars and unticked the Mac Only calendar, and bingo, all the events vanished. The problem is that these reminders still pop up on both my iPhone and my iPad. Is there any way I can have these reminders still show up on my Mac, but not on my iDevices? So, yeah, um, the issue is that you're syncing this calendar to your to your iPhone or your iPad. And that that data sits out there. You've turned it off from the view. But just because you don't want to see it in the view, the Mac doesn't or the uh, the iDevice doesn't realize you don't want to get the alerts because the data is on the device. So for me, the trick would be let's just not sync the calendar to the device at all. Uh, easier said than done, but it actually is pretty easily done if you use Google Calendar. Uh, I don't know how you're syncing now. You may be syncing manually uh, inside iTunes over USB, or you might be using uh, the old mobile me Google Calendar allows you to do this. You set it up as an exchange uh, calendar in your iPhone and also on your Mac. You sync all your calendars to it. But on once you've got it set up on your iPhone, you still won't see any calendars. It's very interesting. You have to go to on your iPhone in Safari. You have to go to m.google.com slash sync S Y N C and log into your Google account. And then sure enough, You'll see it'll say, oh, hey, you've got, you know, an iPhone and an iPad syncing. Pick one. So you pick it and then it shows you the list of all your calendars and you have to check the ones that you want to sync to the device. If you do not check it, it won't sync. It's not that it won't appear. It's that it simply won't sync. And that should keep you in uh, 
in the clear. I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not going to go through the entire process of setting up the syncing here. There are articles online to do that. And it's frankly better to read those than hear us walk you through them. But, uh, but that, that, that would be my answer to this problem. So, and I know the John, only, you messed with this a little bit and you've got, yeah, you've got some, tips. well, the only caveat that I'm going to offer here, and this is going to be a finger wag at Google, or at least the people that write or maintain the help files. Okay. Is that uh, up until recently, um, you know, so you and I both share a ca- uh, Google Calendar to uh, schedule our Mac Geek app. Right. And I did not have that on my iPad, or I'm sorry, my iTouch. Why did I say iPad? Maybe I want an iPad, Dave. <laughs> I've been brainwashed. <laughs> but on my iPod Touch, the problem is, is that the Google help files, or at least one that I found, so, you know, I Googled and I said, you know, iPod Touch Google Calendar, and it came up with a, a file saying how to do this. They have one critical error in that they say, all right, uh, you know, you can do Exchange, and, and I guess they, they make a point that I guess earlier iDevices, uh, you know, earlier versions of iOS, did not support accessing more than one Exchange account. Correct. That's, or that's what they say. Yep. Where, of course, you know, the latest device uh, supports that because I have multiple Google calendars. But they say, oh, well, if Google Calendar doesn't work, then say it's a CalDAV calendar instead. And I'm like, really? I'm like, let me try. Even though everything appears to work, it just doesn't show up in the calendar, Dave. Huh. I gave it the server name, my Google username, my password. Um, I even ran the, uh, the, you know, the sync thing, which, you know, I think is some sort of hack to get this all to work or maybe... I don't know. To me, it seems like kind of a hack. But anyways, it um, I don't know. It's just a way to configure it. But no, uh, if if you say CalDAV, at least on the iPod Touch, the, the one I have, you know, and it's version four, whatever of iOS, it it just doesn't show up. It, it it lists it, but no events appeared. So huh. just so you don't rip your hair out saying why the heck doesn't this work? I'm following the directions. Um, that that's a little and, something I'll add there. And and even if you then go to the m.google.com slash sync page and check the boxes, it still didn't appear. You know, I think that's the thing is I don't know if it show if the the checkbox showed up. So so I think oh, they have wow. some little hiccup in their implementation, or maybe okay. I, maybe I wasn't doing it right. I don't know, but I, I thought I was following the directions. But yeah, so I guess my advice is stay away from CalDev uh, when you're going to Google Calendar because it's just not going to work out. Yeah, I've had I have not even tried it, so I can't. The only thing I can speak to is is like you have used the exchange and it, it's nearly flawless. I mean, I think I've had one little hiccup with it over time, but otherwise it's been great. So. Mm-hmm. Our second sponsor for this show, John, is Circus Ponies with Notebook 3.0. Of course, at CircusPonies.com is where you can find out more. What Notebook is, is it's a program allowing you to organize data about specific projects or topics. Now, the way it works is when you launch it, you actually get a notebook interface. And inside that interface, you can type, you can pull in little sticky notes, you can pull in PDFs, you can pull in audio files, you can pull in video files, you can pull in all sorts of different types of media, and they all bundle inside this one notebook. So you could have a notebook for, say, Thanksgiving dinner. You know, you've got Thanksgiving coming up, You're going to do a big dinner at the house. You want to do a little drawing maybe in, uh, you know, one of your drawing programs and you want to pull that in. So now you've got the layout of the table that you drew and you've got a PDF of a recipe for, you know, squash pudding or whatever. I don't know if squash pudding would actually be any good. It doesn't sound very good to me, John. But, you know, if you want to make squash pudding, you could and you could have the recipe right 
there. Uh, and maybe you want to add like sugar to that recipe because that's really the only hope you've got if uh, if you're going to make squash pudding and you want happy guests. But uh, you can put all that stuff in. You can take a picture of your turkey before and after. Maybe you want to put that in there, too. Uh and then build your little schedule inside the notebook. And now you've got it all packed in there. And the cool thing is, is you can say, you know, I know this notebook has gotten huge because we've got 500 people coming over for Thanksgiving and it's a 20 page notebook here. I know last Tuesday I put some data in here and I, I need to see that, but I can't remember where in the notebook I put it. And I don't want to scroll through the whole thing. Well, you use their what they call multi decks. And that allows you to search by a lot of things, including the date that you did the edits. So not only do you, can you search by the data that, you know, uh, if you knew there, you know, maybe what you typed or what you put in, but you can also search by the date that you did it just as a safety catch. Uh, again, this is all available at circusponies.com. It is shareware, which means that you can download a free trial. And then uh, when you're ready to, when you're ready to buy, it's 49 95, they do offer a discount for academic licenses, which is $29.95. This is a great piece of software for students uh, and even faculty members, too. So check it out, circusponies.com. Download your free trial and uh, and get yourself hooked because it's it's cool stuff. All right. On to... Uh, well, you know, you're right, Dave. There ahead. is squash pudding. I found a recipe. Did you? And as yeah. you surmised, they suggest you add butter, sugar, Evaporated milk and vanilla, all which I think makes it a little sweeter. So that, I mean, really, the squash is just so you can call it squash <laughs> filler, isn't it? That's yeah, right. yes, it's sort of ancillary. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, don't don't have squash pudding unless you really like it. And if you have a good squash pudding recipe, well, you can share mm-hmm. with us. Um, all right. Jimmy writes. I have a MacBook and a Mac Mini 1.8 gigahertz Core 2 Duo. Both my Airport Express and my Airport Extreme will show up in the airport utility on my MacBook, but not on my Mac Mini. I've tried this both wirelessly and plugged in via Ethernet. Coincidentally, or perhaps not, my TiVo will only show up in Safari on my MacBook as well. What could cause this? All right. I think here, John, is a bonjour problem. And uh, I, I know that getting your TiVo to show up in the bonjour menu in Safari requires, well, bonjour to work. But I also believe that the airport utility uses bonjour to discover any airport base stations on your network. So I, I think I think that's. I think there's there's a problem now. There's no facility, as far as I know, at least not inside the the parts of OS 10 that you're supposed to touch. Uh, I don't think there's any facility for turning Bonjour off or on, for that matter. But uh, but there is a little command line I found, and we'll post a link to the to the article where I found it. But uh, I I don't know why it would have turned off. I don't know what the things are that cause Bonjour to choke. I'm thinking if you didn't have a computer name set, and that would be system preferences and then sharing, uh, you have to list a computer name at the top. But I think it would autofill that. I, I think the history is I'm remembering something about wiping that out and coming back in and seeing that it put in like, you know, Dave Hamilton's MacBook Pro or something like that, you know, up there. Um, or maybe the firewall. Oh, could be. I'm thinking. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, a lot yeah. of network problems. And and where do you go to set the firewall? Of course, you go to system preferences, um, security. Yeah. 
one machine here, firewall, and you may want to temporarily say allow everything. I mean, normally I have it set to uh, something different, but um, I, I've seen some of these zero conf and other sort of uh, you know protocols not not work too well sometimes through firewalls. So, so it's worth a shot. I don't I don't know if that's it. Yeah. And then I actually have an answer to your your uh, uh, suspicion, Dave, that okay. uh, the airport is done through Bonjour. Yes, it absolutely is. Ah. And I'm going to tell you how I know that. How do you know? I'm going to tell you because, Dave, I have a. So as you pointed out, I think Safari has a very nice basic uh, Bonjour browser. Right. You know, you click on the, the little book. And on the sidebar there, you see a bonjour and some things will show up. Well, Dave, the tool that I like to use to uh, view bonjour, and this is how I found this out, is iStumbler. Uh-huh. Now, iStumbler, most people will associate uh, being a wireless network browser. It can find airport networks, Bluetooth networks. Uh, what you do with that information is up to you. But then this is what I found, Dave. So on the bonjour tab within iStumbler, so I clicked it and a number of devices showed up. And one of them that showed up is uh, happens to have the name of my time capsule. And then to the right of it, what iStumbler will do is show you the services that are available. Oh. So it shows Apple file sharing, Windows file sharing, not a big surprise. And then using a different icon, it shows some other things. It shows airport. Hmm. <laughs> something called a disk and something called sleep proxy. So I think what's happening is it's advertising. So what I'm going to guess is that those are services that it's advertising as available. And one's called airport. Right. So when the airport utility goes out uh, over Bonjour, it says, hey, you got an airport. Oh, okay, you do? Great. Okay, thanks. And it appears in the utility. So, so I'm, I'm with you on that. And, and this, uh, I just brought this up like moments ago. Cool. Cool. So it is. So this is like the best Bonjour browser that I've seen because I think it shows you everything that the uh, device makes available. You know, similar with the uh, the TiVo, right. it shows World Wide Web browser because, of course, you can access your TiVo using your web browser. Ah, oh, very interesting. All right, cool. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, I, I, I again, I can't imagine why Bonjour, unless y- you know, it's possible that wow, if the, if both computers are able to get on the internet then that tells me that they're in the same network, but you could go into your ethernet uh, into, sorry, system preferences network, and then click on either airport or ethernet, whatever you're using and make sure that the first three octets of the IP address are the same on both of these computers. So if it's right, if it, if it's one, nine, two dot one, six, eight dot zero dot one on one, then it could be one, nine, two dot one, six, eight dot zero dot, you know, six on the other or whatever, as long as the first three are the same and all four of the subnet mask are the same so that in most cases for us at home, that subnet mask is going to be 255.255.255.0. As long as that subnet's the same mm-hmm. and the first three octets of the IP address are the same, then, uh, you know, then it tells me that there's uh, yeah either your firewall thing, John, or bonjour is just foobar on, on these machines. But, like you said, I don't know if there's a way to, uh, I mean, for, from what I recall on Windows, you know, that's optional. You actually have to install Bonjour. Right. Uh, at least on older versions of Windows. I, I'm hoping they include it in, in the latest. But, you know, I'm kind of behind the times. I'm an XP type of guy. And I know that they had a Bonjour installer, but yeah, yeah. in the case of the Mac, it's just yeah, kind of built it's just in. Yeah, built in. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, all right. You know, I was talking to Pilot Pete the other day on Skype and, uh, 
he asked a question that made me realize all this stuff that uh, there's a, it's, it's easy when you work on computers every day to take certain things for granted uh, and, and certain little paths and nuggets of knowledge for granted. And what Pete asked me is he said, gosh, you know, uh, I'm trying to figure out if it's worth upgrading the Ram in my MacBook pro. And I'm trying to figure out if, if the four gigs of Ram that I have is in two chips or one, but I don't want to open it up to find out. And, uh, Oh, I know. And John, I think it's two. All right. Well, there you go. So there's Pete's answer. So that's the little (laughs) nugget of information. (laughs) No, no, no. Of course. Correct. However, that was a lucky guess, but but you're going to tell us, Dave, where, oh, where can you find this information short of taking the machine apart, which I don't know why he's being such a wimp about this. (laughs) Um, well, because he was talking to me on the machine at the time, so he didn't want to. Ah, okay. All right. We do not recommend you open up a machine while you're using it. I've told you this story that I did. I did that with right, John. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. You, you got lucky, very got lucky with very, a, a P, with a PC uh, card. That's right. You would either insert it or, or uh, I think you inserted. I, it I inserted a, a modem, and and the client on the other side of the screen says, "Yeah, new hardware found." I'm thinking, oh my god, I'm not supposed to do that. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah. Back to our friend system profiler, which you can rewind to find out how to get to hardware and memory will show you how many memory slots you have. Now, in most cases, this is truly going to show you slots. There are some machines that have RAM, some RAM soldered to the board and then one slot for expansion. So it may be a little misleading here, but certainly in Pete's case with his MacBook Pro, there are two slots and uh, he has two gigs in each. So. He needs to, uh, however he wants to upgrade, he can, but he could take one out and put one in. And we're actually going to talk more about that in the next question too. But system profiler will tell you what you have in your Mac. Mm-hmm. Should, should yeah. Already- and it gives you, well, it gives you enough information to at least at a high level determine, like, for example, I'm looking at, you know, so it shows you the size, the type speed, which is important if you're going to be purchasing memory. Right. And you buy it from like a mysterious vendor who doesn't not familiar with Macs, but yeah, like in the case of my G5 here, it says PC 3200 and, and some other information. So, and it's a status which should always be okay. I've never seen anything <laughs> different in that column. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It should it should say okay. That's right. All right, uh, and along these same lines, Scott wrote us this week. He says uh, in the old days, and notice I did not put good in front of that. In order to run an IBM 370 with more than four megabytes of memory, you had a to what? attach yeah, you had to attach another processor to the box. The IBM 370-150AP, AP for attached processor, was considered huge with eight megabytes of memory. That machine required six bays of racks and power supplies. A rack was 21 by 24 by 60 inches and required 30 KVA power connectors, a raised floor, and an industrial chilling unit. Today, my iPhone 3G can do infinitely more and fit in my pocket. This hmm. stroll down memory lane came after I finally loaded Parallels and Windows XP on my late 2009 iMac. I've avoided this for as long as possible, but I have to get rid of an old 486 still running Windows 2000 to make room on my desk. Parallels with Windows is a memory hog, and I want to upgrade my RAM, which brings me to my question. And also, which shows you all why many times when Scott... Uh, phones in we have to only play you clips because he's got a very simple question and it took a lot to get here uh he says do you know if i can mix two by four gigabyte dims with the original two by two gigabyte dims uh dims being memory sticks in my mac pro 
No, in my iMac. Right, we've got that right. I, I'm and confusing. Yeah, late 2009 iMac. I'm confusing him with Jimmy, who had the had the Mac Pro, or right. somebody else had the Mac Pro. And this is another memory question that has a simple answer, and the answer is yes. Yes, you can. That's right. You can mix them. Now, <laughs> why would he even ask this question, John? And 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 I know I'm leading the witness here, and that's my that's my job. Outstanding. So the reason you may want to know this is because. Some machines, you cannot do this. Now, where do you get the information? The information? And Dave, the, the best source of this information that I found is not Apple, shockingly enough, but it's our friends at Crucial. Crucial is a memory vendor, and I think they know their stuff, and I've bought from them before. I think you have as well. And they have a section on their site where as long as you can identify the machine, so I basically went through and eventually drilled down and said I had a late 2009 iMac. Um, I didn't know the clock speed, but I don't think that's important. And what they have, once you've identified the machine, is certain uh, information about the memory, as long, uh, along with the, the options to buy and the price and all that. And they have two questions uh, that, that they always list. And one of them is, do I have to install matching pairs? And the answer for this machine is No. And that kind of leads to the second question, which they list sometimes, Dave. Which is? Does my computer support dual-channel memory? Uh, and the and answer to that question for this particular machine is also no. Really? Now, I'm not surprised by this, Dave, because I, I know we had a go-round about, uh, about this before, because... So in a nutshell, what is dual channel? In, in many computers, not just Macs, if you have two identical memory chips in the same bank, I'm going to say a bank having two slots, what can sometimes happen is that they're in a sense combined as far as the, I believe, the memory bus, or rather than... And I'll use an example here. I don't know if it's entirely accurate, but say you can talk to a chip 64 bits at a time. Well, if you do dual channel, and hopefully I'm not getting this terribly wrong, but if you do dual channel, then what can happen is you can access the chips in a single maybe 128-bit mode here. And the advantage, of course, being is that if you can either read or write more data, you will get a performance increase. Now, the thing is, there's been a lot of talk about this, and I, and I think the general consensus is that although you can get a minor speed boost, and the figures that I've seen, Dave, is maybe 5%, but certainly in the single-digit percent, um, if you have to decide between getting a matched pair to get this dual channel or getting more memory and possibly having them mismatched. I would say that in almost all cases, getting more memory is the way to go. Huh? Yeah, I think that's right. And, and we, or you dug up an other world computing article uh, about that, where they said that there was, you know, the, the speed benefits been provided by having uh, dual channel memory, versus getting more memory was there was even no contest right yeah no i i can't recall any no i'll take that back um i, I think i've just you always take na- that back it's not I, i've not, just <laughs> now I've, I've just always whenever i've installed memory you know typically the banks are you know can take two chips yep or maybe four like you know in the, in the, the g5 here but i think i've always installed them just just assuming that's the right thing to do i've always i think bought them in pairs or installed them in pairs just because it seemed to be the right thing to do. Maybe I had a bad experience. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think at some point I may have experienced that benefit of the uh, the dual channel. So, um, whether you want to get them from Crucial or, or someone else, but you know, I would say you know since they provided the info, then uh, you know check them out first. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right, uh, and that reminds me, I got to check. Uh, and now Crucial won't won't officially sell me this because Apple for our machines, Apple says we have the the last non unibody MacBook Pros. Um, Apple says that even though there's two slots, you can only put two gigs in each slot and max out at four. And crucial is very, very, uh, 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 they, they prioritize. Well, how am I going to say this? They make sure that they always adhere to the manufacturer's specs. And that's because they guarantee that the Ram that you buy hmm. will work in your machine. So their memory configurator, if I go through and I say, I, I have this machine and this is what I want to do. They will only sell me that, which Apple, uh, has has cleared but if hmm. i say well i want a four gig chip anyway they'll sell me that they just won't guarantee that it'll work on my machine which is understandable um but other world computing actually does sell or maxsales.com does yes. sell uh, a four gig kit now you and i can put four gigs in one but not both of our memory slots right we can have four plus two i, I have you you've done this i i'm i'm doing it as we speak <laughs> Okay. Yeah, my MacBook Pro has six gigs of RAM. Right. Yeah, I got to do that with mine. I got to. I got to look it up. And I yeah, think, but I think you're right. If you try to put two fours in there, I don't know if it just won't see it or if it it gets too upset about that and and doesn't work. Right. Right. I, I don't. I don't want to find out. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But I want to. And and OWC. You know, the thing is, uh, those guys really know what they're doing, and people that Crucial do as well. I, I certainly don't mean to infer that they don't. Um, there are some memory vendors out there that don't crucial is just not one of them. Uh, but OWC, you know, they've got their own labs. They test everything in house. Yes, they do. Of course, farm manufacturing out to various different places, presumably overseas, I would guess, because, you know, that's the only place you can do that economically and compete. But, uh, but they test everything internally. And so if, when they come out and say, Hey, look, we know Apple says this isn't cool, but, We've tested it and you can put six gigs in this machine and it's going to work. I trust them that it's going to work. So I got to check it out. I know they don't pay us to say that. Um, I mean, the only downside I can imagine going outside of Apple's guidelines is, for example, you know, say the machine is creating a sleep file or something. Yep. There may be other like power related things where, you know, since it will take it longer to do that because there's more memory than that machine expects. Weird things could happen. I haven't experienced that myself, but but I'm speculating as to to why they they want to be safe and and adhere to Apple's guidelines. Um, yeah. I don't know anybody who's gone beyond because Apple typically is very conservative. I mean, they, right. you know, I mean, almost almost any computer can take more memory than the vendor says it can at the time it was manufactured. Some some can't, but um, yeah, it's to say safe. Yeah. Anyways, all right, um, sort of memory related. Uh, blurring the lines a little. Marion writes, I just listened to Mac Geek Up 294. And I have to admit, oh, waiting to hear, uh, to, uh, but, to, but uh, how are we going to read this here? I think there's some confusion. Uh, I was waiting to hear that one more solution to the extra memory problem from the show. What if the need for extra? So we were talking about, uh, we had a listener who uh, wrote in and said they wanted to get an SS they wanted to get SSD speeds but wanted to have more storage and so we gave a lot of different options Marion says uh, what if the need for extra storage is not exponential but incremental 
Almost every solution you came up with required mucking around in the interior, which could, of course, create warranty issues down the line. Uh, since the industry, since the inquiry rather was about a MacBook Pro, why not offer the cheap, easy solution? Every MacBook Pro has an expansion slot, namely the SD card slot. Yes, the Mac is the max that you can put in an SD card slot is 32 gigs right now, but the XSD cards are theoretically supported on the newer ones and they will come down in price soon enough. 32 gigs might not seem like much, but it might be enough in the short run. Now, my MacBook Pro, uh, Marion's MacBook Pro, like ours, John, is early 2008 and it has an express card slot. As such, I bought a 64 gig drive to go in the slot and it can stay there on a reasonably permanent basis. So, yeah, it's true, Mary, and you're right uh, that that using either the express card slot or the uh, the SD card slot, whichever your MacBook Pro has, uh, might provide enough buffer storage. Again, it's 32 gigs, so in incremental, not exponential. But if that's all you need, then you're good. So good. Good point. Thanks, Mary. Have any anything to add there, John? Um, yeah, I'm looking over this too. I mean, was he, because I thought I had mentioned at one point, you know, I guess you call it a thumb drive because I, I yeah. looked around those as well or a flash drive or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The, the largest I was able to find, I just did a quick look on Amazon and it looks like the state of the art for those is about 128 gigabytes. Now, um, and I, we're talking, I'm talking about to USB SD thumb drive. cards. I, I understand. Okay. Okay. I'm just thinking another option because I don't know if we covered it. Yep. Yep. But you can certainly get one of these thumb drives. And, and again, 128 gigabytes, I think, is is the maximum right now. And from what I saw, they're about 200 bucks. I think the only downside on those is you're either going to be limited by the USB bus or potentially, I would say, you know, that, I mean, you know, if you're talking 128 gigs for 200 bucks, then I don't think you're getting the class of memory as, as far as performance that you're going to get in something like a 128 gigabyte SSD. Right. So. Well, and then the other problem is you cannot leave that drive in there full time. If You know, when you take your MacBook Pro and you put it into a laptop case, you've got to take that thumb drive out. Whereas the SD drive or an express card, you certainly can leave in full time or near full time. You know, I've seen some that are very small, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. Typically, you don't want that sticking out there. Right. Right. Cool. All right. Our, uh, our third sponsor for the show is GoToAssist Express. Now, uh, we've all been there, either on the side of being the one helping or the side being helped, where you're on the phone with someone and there's a computer problem that's trying to be solved by one person and the computer is manned by the other. And there's an operator game that happens. The person trying to control the computer says, uh, or the person trying to fix it says, do this. And the person on the other end sort of interprets uh, sometimes and clicks the wrong thing or perhaps doesn't read everything back and because they don't know to look for a certain thing. And yet there's some glaring problem right there on the screen that if only the tech had the ability to see and touch that computer, all would be fixed very, very quickly. Enter go to assist express. What it lets you do is take remote control of a computer, all with the permission of the owner of said computer. And Get the operator game out of the way and just see what the problem is and the way it works. And John, we've, we've tried this and it works fairly well. In fact, it works extremely well is you go to uh, you get your account at go to assist express. And I'm going to tell you how you can do that free for 30 days on us. Uh, you go to go to assist express, you log in and you say, I want to control John's computer. 
It then I can send John an email. I can read him a URL. All he needs to do is visit one URL in his web browser. There's no software to install ahead of time or anything like that. He visits the URL in his web browser, says, yes, I want to allow this, uh, launches a little applet, and then boom, I get to see and control John's screen. Of course, he can see what's going on uh, as well, and he can knock me out if he uh, if he sees me trying to dig in and, and steal his credit card numbers. Um, works really, really well. Uh, and Mac Geek Up listeners, of course, get GoToAssist Express free for 30 days. You visit GoToAssist.com slash geek. That's GoToAssist.com slash geek for your 30-day free trial of GoToAssist Express. All right. Um, you know, we've got some follow-ups from uh, from the last show that, that I want to go through here, John. But uh, as we've said in the beginning, there's a lot of people that have emailed in. You email your questions. You email your tips. We provide our own tips. We provide answers. And uh, and the Mac Geek Up community thrives. So the question is, oftentimes, and this is a question we never get asked, because if you have this question, you don't know how to ask it. And that is, how do we contact you? Uh, and it's not how do John and I contact you that we're doing right now. It's how do you contact us? John, how do how do they contact us? How should I? Oh, wait, no, I have the certain down somewhere. <laughs> um, Dave, you know, I'd probably pick up the telephone and I'd call the 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. That's 206-666-GEEK. Now, the phone certainly works, but let's say I don't want to use the phone. What? Uh, let's say I want to type a message or perhaps even record a message on my computer. How do I do that? How do I get that message to us, John? Wow. Well, everybody knows, or at least I, I thought everybody knew. But if they don't, Dave, I would probably send an email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You heard me, brother. I said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's right. And our premium subscribers <laughs> can actually email premium at MacGeekGab.com. Premium is us doing a couple extra episodes a month. And you get full access to the archives and you get to support your two favorite geeks for just 25 bucks for a six month subscription to that. So that uh, you can you can subscribe at MacGeekGab.com. And then once you're a subscriber, you can email us premium at MacGeekGab.com. So I think that covers. Now, well, you could Skype us. You could. That's true. You could. You could. And, and another thing, you know, we mention this every now and then, but I'm going to mention it again, Dave, is that yeah, there is this uh, newfangled Twitter thing. Oh, yes, the Twitter, um, which uh, sometimes, you know, if, if Dave or I are online. Um, but anyways, the Twitter handles are as follows. I am John F. Braun. Dave Hamilton is Dave Hamilton. Mac Geek Gab is Mac Geek Gab. And that's where you're going to get notifications when a show goes up or when the show notes are posted. Um, Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete, of course. And Mac Observer is Mac Observer. They all make total sense here. And one other thing I want to mention, Dave, is that we have a feature which I don't think everybody knows about. But, you know, if you want to go to our website, which is macgeekab.com there's a very nice uh, google search tool that will let you search through the show notes in case we mention something you just can't remember which of our 295 shows we've mentioned it in so Good call yeah because we had something come up the other day where where the answer was available using the search tool that that uh, has been installed so um Good. If you can't remember uh, again you could you could listen to all the shows we, we'd certainly like that but you may not have the time so um macgeekab.com and, and there's a nice search bar and, and it'll bring up the page if, uh, if it's in the show notes. Cool. And, uh, and one last thing, you know, you can contact us in the Mac Geek Gab crew forums, which is uh, available at MacObserver.com as well. So, 
All right, moving on to, and we do uh, we do peruse and patrol and answer and help, and as you heard, we even pull questions from the forums right here into the show. Uh, last time, John, in show 294, we were talking about file sharing and setting up shares for uh, various different purposes, and throughout that process, I said, you need to have an account on the Mac that's sharing the files. Uh, and you need to yeah. create an account for the user that's going to log in. That's right. And no. Or well, is it's, it? It's, it's certainly <laughs> okay to do that. And that mm-hmm. will work. However, as Ian points out, you do not need to have an account on a Mac to use the shares. If you go into system preferences, sharing, and then on the user side, you can highlight file sharing. You got to check the box to turn it on. And then you'll have two panes. On the left is the shares or the folders that you've got shared. And on the right are the users with access. If you p- click the plus sign, you can actually add a new person that has whose only purpose is to connect to that share. It doesn't add them as a, a separate user on the Mac or anything. Uh, so very, very helpful to uh, to do things that way. So thank you, Ian. That's uh, that that's re- I, I I never knew that. So get out. I didn't either. It's awesome. Oh, that is great. That, that yeah. And, and then you don't run the risk of. Um yeah, having someone get into an account that you don't want to. It, it's Or just creating accounts that you don't want created. I mean, every account that you create creates some file system structure and, and even mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. files, you know, some prep files and all that that certainly take up some space. So, cool. All right. Uh, and then uh, lastly, Lefwin wrote in, uh, you know, and I'll, and I'll read his note here. It's a little bit long, but I think it'll go pretty quick. Uh, we talked last time we had a... Uh, listener write in asking how to set up multiple monitors with a uh, home photo display, which I thought was pretty cool. And Lefwin writes in, he says, I just listened to episode 294 regarding the gentleman who wants to continuously show his photos on a mounted screen or two or three. I took a slightly different approach to this challenge a few years back and it's been working great. It's not inexpensive, but I think my setup may be more cost effective than dedicating a computer to a display full time. Plus, I wanted HD resolution to really show off my photos. Here's what I did. I scoured open box deals in stores and internet specials until I found a decent high-resolution monitor with HDMI input. I wanted one that could be wall-mounted, had HD comparable pixel count, and was not not plastered with manufacturer's logos or gaudy buttons. I found an Acer monitor at Circuit City's going out of business sale for $125, but anything that meets these criteria would do the trick. Mounted the monitor on a living room wall. I was fortunate that this wall backs to a closet area where I could stash all the gear and run power in an HDMI cable directly through the wall. Very sweet. I then found the cheapest Blu-ray player I could find. They all have the capability to continuously loop a disc seamlessly, and all the other features don't matter for this application. I run the player 24-7, 365, with no sound, just video. The first player I bought cost me 150 uh, a few years ago, lasted about nine months before the continuous playing fried it. The next one was about 100 and lasted just over a year. Currently, I'm running a $65 Walmart special player that has been looping continuously for well over a year. I'm sure I'll find a backup spare player for even less at a sale over the holidays or when my current player gives up. So you're asking, how does all this relate to the Mac? Well, to make this work, I invested a, in a Blu-ray burner from my Mac Pro. The one I have is an internal drive that I found for just under 300 bucks, but I'm sure they've come down since then. I burned a slideshow using the very reasonably priced Toast Titanium Blu-ray utility, and it came bundled with Photomagico that I used to create the slideshow. 
I was careful to leave each picture on the screen for at least a few minutes, and I took it easy with the transitions between photos. My goal was for this to look more like a photo on the wall at any given moment than a moving slideshow. It runs for over an hour before seamlessly restarting, and I must say it looks pretty darn nice. So it's pretty cool. He goes in, you know, he has to go and create these DVDs, of course, but uh, allows him to totally customize the experience. Uh, I'm not convinced that it's cheaper than our stream to an Apple TV solution, but... uh, but maybe it is because even with that, you've got to have at least one computer dedicated to to managing it. So, uh, so yeah, you know, it, cool, cool to uh, to hear nonetheless. So that's that's my feeling. I don't know. Have, have you set up the uh, plasma? Have you replaced the sheetrock in your house with plasma screen walls? Yeah, John. Mm, no, because <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Now, you know, one thing I found that was interesting, Dave, a little tidbit here as yeah. we're doing our outro. Yeah. You know, I remember how Steve called, uh, because, you know, I heard Blu-ray mention. You know how Steve called Blu-ray a bag of hurt? Yes, he did. It's funny because if you run this thing called default apps, you know, you probably run this application. Mm-hmm. And someone asked me this on Twitter the other day, and I was kind of shocked. There is a media category. And you know what? There's um, different types of media. There's a blank CD, a blank DVD, and a blank BD. Wow, I wonder what BD stands for. There's a couple of entries in that list. So I think what this is telling us is that at some point, we're going to see Blu-ray on uh, on the Mac. um, Yeah, because BD is, of course, Blu-ray disc. Yeah. we we will we will hate anything until Steve tells us that it's not bad anymore, right? I mean, it you know the uh, the the tablet computers were bad until they weren't, right? Intel chips mm-hmm. were bad until they weren't, and Blu-ray discs are bad until they aren't, and, and Verizon, right, is bad until they aren't or whatever. I, although I guess Apple hasn't really said anything bad about Verizon. No, no, no not like they have. So, um, what's coming up here? Oh, if you're in the United States, there's this thing called voting tomorrow. It is. That's right. uh, you, you may want to give it a shot. Vote early. Vote often. But, you know, I kind of wonder how much good it does, Dave. I, I saw a little political cartoon. It was really funny. It showed two people in a car between two walls, and the car was totally wrecked. The front and the back were all smashed up. One side was one party, and one was the other party, and basically they were smashed into one side, and one person said to the other, well, let's try to put it in reverse. <laughs> basically saying that it doesn't make any difference it's all rigged it's, it's all a skit no uh y- you know uh, be I- lucky you're, you're able to vote and think you're making a difference I'm, I'm being a little cynical here i guess uh you know i think i find that in local elections and this of course goes way off topic but we're in our outro anyway here um i find that in local elections the uh the the candidates are actually smart because they realize well, the people on the left are going to get the left voters. People on the right are going to get the right voters. And really, they kind of wash each other out. It's the middle, right, that that, mm. that matters. And, and in local elections, not only do the candidates really campaign for the middle, but there's also a difference that you can make. I mean, you know, a lot of local elections are decided by hundreds of votes. And mm-hmm. you actually get to meet the candidates and not just meet them, but they might be your neighbors. You might actually be able to, you know, continue to speak your mind to them over the over the course of their mm-hmm. term. Mm-hmm. So local elections 
have have renewed my faith in uh, in in U.S. politics. Of course, the, the you know national elections are just it's a it's all rigged. Yeah. It's a throwaway. <laughs> all right, uh, let's see. Thanks to Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators, formerly iPhone Alley podcast, for his assistance in converting this to AAC for you. He did miss two ninety four. Uh, he's had some stuff going on that uh, that pulled him away, but uh, he says that two ninety five in theory you should. Oh my gosh. I ran out of time on this. I what really happened got, to the band? I really got to change this, uh, the way I do this. It's, it's silly, the way that I'm Well, you, you keep up. pressing the button, right? Uh, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Except I didn't then. But anyway, uh, so Michael will have converted this to AAC for you. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, provides all the bandwidth here for us and for you. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo and Yojimbo for iPad from Barebones, Disc Label from Smile with your uh, special link for uh, smilesoftware.com slash geek that gets you Disc Label for way cheaper than you could otherwise, and Notebook from Circus Ponies, of course, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. That's it. I think we're out of here, John. Oh, we mm-hmm. did set up the uh, the tip jar for you folks, so you can see that at MacKeekab.com. There's a little link there. It's in the show notes, too. You can sign up for premium. You can donate to the chip jar. You can uh, buy stuff from our sponsors. You can do all of the above. You can do none of the above. The choice is yours. But do get out tomorrow. If it's tomorrow, and if it was yesterday, go back in time. Vote early. Vote often. And don't get caught. Made up.